Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So with that being said, uh, we'll begin here. Uh, Step six, uh, learning my gospel story. And this is where I have learned my suffering story and the kinds of meanings that I put into my grief that complicated and make it a less clean grief. I have mourned the actual loss itself. And I'm still looking for some sense of meaning, of direction. And a moment ago, when we read the very uh, painful, honest quote from C.S. Lewis, I said, we're going to see where that brought him. Uh, And this is where we see the quote uh, that tells us that. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, insofar as this record, talking about the the writing that he did uh, at the loss of his wife, he says, insofar as this record was a defense against a total collapse, a safety valve, it has done some good. And then he says, you know, I thought what I was going to do is I was going to describe a state. I was going to make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out not to be a state, but a process. It needs not a map, but a history. And this is where I think C.S. Lewis was kind of getting some realistic expectations of what putting his suffering story into words and mourning and beginning to gain a gospel story was what, was what it was going to do. At first, he thought he was going to tackle grief. He thought he was going to conquer it. He thought he was going to be like Lewis and Clark. And he was going to make a map of the West that other people could follow. And that it would be these traceable steps. That it would be this universal script. And he thought, if I could do this, then it would make my grieving worthwhile. And I think we would all love that. We would think, I would go through the pain if I could redeem it that way. But he says, that's not, that's not the kind of thing that grief is. Grief is a personal story. It's a history. And so in that sense, what we might say is he uses this term of map and history. In some ways, our goal for this seminar is to create a bit of a map. What is that large picture in which we grieve? What are the different experiences that we can have within that? And our testimonies are the different journeys that have been taken on that map. And they start in different places and they all have their unique features. But they all seek to end in that same place, which is a hope in Christ that is strong enough and sturdy enough uh, to support us in the midst of the hardship. And so we, we aren't trying to create a script. These nine steps aren't meant to be that we are all going to have the same experience. But hopefully they do capture the context in which we grieve and some of the common experiences that we have. Now Paul Tripp takes us an, a step further. He says, Every time someone dies, it reminds those watching that God's work, uh, that, that 
it reminds those watching that God's work is not yet complete. Because of sin, death entered the world. Only when sin is completely defeated will death cease to be part of the equation. As you weep, know this. The one who weeps with you is not content for things to stay as they are. His death was a cry and His resurrection a promise. The living Christ will continue to exert His power and you will grieve no more. Again, referring there to Revelation 21.4 where it says He will wipe away a tear from every eye. Now, at this point as we seek to unpack that, we're going to try to talk about the gospel story being built around five questions. Uh, we talked about our suffering story being built around seven themes. We're going to talk about the gospel story being built around five questions. It, an important precaution that I will put here, especially for those of you that are at a, a fresh spot in your grief, we've reached this point in our presentation that does not mean that you have come to this point in your journey. And it is very easy at this point for you to begin to feel rushed, for you to begin to push, for you to begin to feel as if, okay, maybe I'm not doing it right, I can relate to that other part, but this part, I just, I'm not ready for that, I'm not there. To which I would simply say yes. And probably nor should you be. Just because we have reached this point in our presentation does not mean that you have reached this point in your journey, and I don't want to add to or complicate the grief that you have by adding that pressure. But as we look at these questions, these five questions, the first of those is simply, who am I? We've brought that up several times. Who am I? And one of the things of who we are is we are temporal. Uh, our life here is short. And as we try to understand how God interacts with that and the gospel impacts it, we are limited by our temporal nature. The best picture that I could get in my mind is that we are as limited in understanding a bird as a fish would be. A fish is bound to a body of water. And he can swim from one edge of that to another, but that's all he knows. And he follows the bird. But the bird doesn't have that limitation of height or depth or anything else that is found within water. And it just looks like a freedom that is unfathomable, that it sometimes he resents. And sometimes he just goes on as if the pond is all there is. And as we seek to make sense of grief in light of the gospel, our temporalness often limits us in that way. Another thing about us, particularly in times of grief, is that we are relationally changing. And I've said that several times, but here I'll try to unpack it further. That, that as we think about relationships, relationships produce roles. Like I said, I'm a son and a husband and a father. Relationships produce roles. Roles produce a sense of identity. Again, when you ask me who I am, I define it those ways. That, that's who I am. 
And that identity creates choices. So much of my day, I don't even think about because it's just what I do because of who I am. And out of those choices come this sense of rhythm to life where things become predictable and enjoyable and then grief just comes along and throws all of that away. And I feel very relationally changed and I don't know what to do with that. And, And so who we are is we are relationally changing. And another part of who we are, we are under the curse. The curse of sin. And here again, we have to be careful. This is a suffering seminar. This is not at all saying, why did this happen to me? As if I lost someone because I sinned. But this is answering the question, why does this happen to us? We live in a world that is under the curse. Where if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And creation is moaning and groaning, knowing that this is not how it was intended to be. We were not made for this world. Yet, and then we, we have, who is God? God is loving. And again, the, the best picture parallel that, that I could create here, and it falls short, is that when we buy our children a pet, we know that pet will die. And when the pet dies, they will be hurt, they will be angry, they will be confused. And there may be points when they look at us and they go, if you knew it was going to die, why did you even get us the pet? And we understand that but it doesn't change the love that we have for them. We are still loving parents, just as in the midst of when our heart cries out that way towards God to the one that we've lost. He doesn't cease being a loving father. Now another piece here, and and this one begins to get a little abstract and then hopefully we'll make it more concrete, is that God exists outside of time. And so that for God, our restoration with our loved one, our restoration with our health, with our dream, is as certain as it can be because He lives in the eternal present. And again, we are like that fish trying to understand the bird. And if we take that piece of who God is alone, He seems very distant. But not only does God exist outside of time, and that gives us an assurance that our reunion is as sure as He is real, God is also incarnational. And He enters our world. He is not detached. He came to know suffering and loss. And, and as we walk through these pieces, again, I'll just reiterate here, this is where the notebook and going through this in the context of a friend or a counselor is very important because as we move through these things briefly, it will begin to feel very cliche 
unless that is in the context of a relationship that you trust and you feel like knows you and is empathizing with you as you are wrestling with these truths. But another question. Uh, Who am I? Who is God? What is death? One of the things that we need to know about death within the gospel story is that death is real. And I think we get desensitized to that. Because when we watch movies, death either happens at the beginning of the movie or the end of the movie. It's either the thing that sparks the tragedy and that that's what's resolved through the movie or that somehow it's a part of the climax of the movie and everybody rides off into the sunset with soft music and it feels okay. And in our life, death happens in the middle. And it's real. It's much more real than it is when it gets that artificial sense of closure because it's a part of an artificial script. Death is also a door. Uh, We experience it as a wall or as a barrier. But death is when we transition from this life that is more temporal and less real to the life that is eternal and absolutely real. And again, we hit that spot where we're like the fish trying to understand the bird. Death is also a defeated enemy. And I think C.S. Lewis helps us here. He says, death in fact is what modern people call ambivalent. It is Satan's greatest weapon and also God's greatest weapon. It is holy and unholy. Our supreme disgrace and our only hope. The thing Christ came to conquer and the means by which He conquered it. We sing that song here frequently, trampling over death by death, talking about what Christ did. And when we, when we see how we respond to death, it should draw our, our attention to exactly how profound of an experience it is. And it should also awaken us to how much we try to make sense of life completely forgetting about death. So that when it intrudes, it feels like this is a completely new variable. But we spend most of our life trying to understand what we're doing, what we want to achieve, our purpose, our goals, our dreams, as if death wasn't a part of it. And then it comes crashing in when it was a part of the gospel story the whole time as a defeated enemy. The fourth question we ask, and in many ways this is, this is kind of the big question in this turning point as we begin to look towards gospel story and identifying goals. It's, is love worth grief? Before grief, I got to love naively. I could give my heart away without recognizing the sacrifice that it was. After grief, I have to ask, is love worth it? And the gospel tells us, yes. But it's a much more sober and less sentimental yes. Because we recognize love is something that we give at great cost. Love is something that we give as Christ gave us. It requires a sacrifice. 
and that heaven is the only place where we can love without grief. And then finally, uh, we ask, what am I living for? That is a question that comes up in the midst of understanding the gospel story. And here, we're, it's very tempting to begin to take this into the area of idolatry and just think, okay, I'm grieving because I was living for this relationship or I was living for that dream. And, and now that that's been taken away, it shows that I really wasn't completely happy in God. And that may be the case, but the vast majority of the time, I would just say, whoa, that's us trying to understand grief within a predominantly sin paradigm. Yet, anytime we love, uh, we are going to give our life away for that. And when it goes away, it's going to hurt. And sometimes we get caught in the trap that we go, okay, if in the midst of my grief I learn blank, then that's what God was trying to teach me. And again, I would, I would caution us from trying to make that kind of meaning. And, and the parallel I might offer there is... As we grow in our Christian life, we come to points where we understand things about the gospel that we never understood before. Where we just see the beauty and the depth and the richness and the way that it impacts our life. And that doesn't mean we weren't saved. That doesn't mean that we were a heretic. That just means that we came to embrace it in a way that apart from that moment of maturity, we weren't prepared for. And similarly, as we hit different points of grieving and we begin to see what we're living for, the levels of maturity that come with that are not things where we have to condemn ourselves as if we were just idolaters before, but that we begin to see the things that truly matter. Um, it... Paul Tripp, uh, talking about the Psalms in the way that we have. He says, this is what I love about the Psalms. Uh, they put difficulty and hope together in the tension of hardship and grace that is the life of every person this side of eternity. It's not hard to recognize the environment of the Psalms. The Psalms live in your city, on your street, in your family. The Psalms tell your story. It is a story of hope and disappointment, of need and provision, of fear and mystery, of struggle and rest, and of God's boundless love and amazing grace. And, and here again, I think we see God's heart in that when we look at His praise book, and this is not the way, at least that I would naturally think of it, I assume most of us, God's praise book is more about redemption, the journey, than it is heaven, the destination. We saw that in what Bob Kellerman told us about there's more psalms of lament and struggle than there is praise and celebration. And we say, why is that? Because he wrote it for his children as travelers. And we see God's care in the things that he packed for His children on this journey. Like we just said, He packed hymns that recognize the hardness of their journey so that we would be able to sing with hope, but with a realness that recognizes where we were. 
He packed companions, that is the church, so that we would not have to travel alone. He packed a book, the Bible, that has a description of our destination, but also notes along the way about what the travel would be like. He packed His own personal example, the Incarnation, so that when we're at that point going, am I the only one that has ever experienced this? We know that He was tempted in every way that we were. There was not an experience of hardship or tragedy that we would experience that would be unique from what He went through. And He also packed a guarantee the seal of His Holy Spirit, that we would know that this journey would not be in vain. In terms of understanding the Gospel story, uh, I think uh, Judy Bloor does a good job of portraying that to kids. And she's talking about a class that she would give to kids when they were going through their grief. And the question was raised, why doesn't God tell us more about heaven? Now, the children in the workshop, as they talked around themselves, concluded it's a surprise. Now, we then talked about the surprise party he was preparing for us and for all those who loved him. Jason, uh, the friend that they had lost, got his invitation earlier than the rest of us. But we are all invited as long as we have Jesus in our hearts. He will let us know when it is our turn to come to the party. And we hear the five themes that we talked about. It, who am I? I am one of God's dearly loved children that He invites to the party because it would be incomplete without our presence. Who is God? He is the one who invites us to the party that we never have to worry about perishing or going away. What is death? Death is the invitation or door to that party. Is love worth grief? Yes. It makes the party more exciting. Love is what lets me know the others in the room so that I can join in and celebrate their story of how they arrived and what it meant for them. What am I living for? To invite others to the party and help them to prepare for it. We hear in this, those themes of the gospel story used to make sense of what they were experiencing. Now, at this point, I'll mention another one of the appendix. We have one that's on parenting tips and family devotions because rarely do parents go through grief without it also impacting their children. And oftentimes, parents are having a hard enough time grappling with their own experience that how to, to walk their children through that is very hard. And so the parenting tips just tell you some key things to look for. And the family devotions walk through these same nine steps uh, with activities and scriptures and illustrations that allow you to use that in the same way of what you're going through that you can share that with your children. 